Good morning, everybody. Hey, we're going to continue in Word of Life. We're excited about this series, and we only have a couple weeks to go as we uh, plan to take this right up to Thanksgiving, and here we are in November, and everybody is more awake today. I tell you what, even the first service was wide awake for getting that extra hour, and um, that's fitting because last time we talked about our Word of Life um, series, we were in the last hour, not the delayed hour, but the last hour, and we talked about a time period that John said is now, where we're walking in these final days, and in these final days, in this last hour, something's gonna come, and we learned this from Paul even, in the book of Acts, that wolves will come. Now, not necessarily literal wolves, but wolves meaning false teachers who will be seeking to draw God's children into the darkness, into lies about what Jesus is. And if we're in the world, and not of the world, We need to learn what the truth is so that we can navigate this even in times when we're surrounded with distraction and even in those times when wolves are around. See, wolves and sheep and shepherding are are themes throughout scripture. And John's very concerned that his flock, his little children, will be swayed or even bullied or even coerced by these wolves that were always seemingly crouching at the door of the sheepfold, at the, at the door of trying to get in. Some came from, many came from within. And so he was keeping the eye on that and knowing that. Have you, ever, have you ever gotten lost when you were a kid? Do you remember getting lost and you're like, I do not know where I am. I remember going to kindergarten, you had to memorize your phone number. Now kindergartners don't even know their, adults don't know their phone numbers. They just hit pictures now to call people. You go to the doctor, they say, what's your phone number? You say, I have no idea. It's just this guy here, right? And we gotta look it up. But I remember having to know my phone number in case I got lost, they could know who my parents were. They always say, whose child are you? Have you, ever, have you ever answered that question? Whose child are you? How would you answer this question? Who are you? I mean, who are you? Well, I'm a, a mother, okay? Um, I'm, a, I'm a father. I, I'm, I'm a doctor. I'm a construction. I'm a contractor, we, we have things we go to, things we do, things that we've accomplished or things that are part of us. But what happens if we lose those things? If you're a mother and you define yourself like that, what happens when they all leave the house? If you're a businessman, you define yourself by that, what happens if you lose your job? If you're a wife, what happens if you lose your spouse? You see, in this world, we will have trouble. And one of the troubling things is when we define ourselves by earthly things that are not eternal. And one of the number one goals of these false teachers, besides leading them off into truth, is to have them question their identity and who they are. And today, John gathers his little spiritual children around, if you will, with this letter and says, listen up, I want you to know what a child of God is. And so we're gonna call this sermon today Child of God, and we're gonna do something a little little risky. We're gonna go through the entire chapter of 1 John 3. And now the reason I wanna do that is because chapter three is better, in my opinion, understood on the macro versus the micro. 
And when you're going through individual verses, you sometimes can forget the larger context. You forget who the audience is. And so you read things like, if anyone sins, he is not of God. And you go, wait a minute, I sin, am I not saved? I mean, I got saved, but I do sin. And I just read a verse that said, if anyone sins, they're not of God. And so we can pull back from that and go, what does this mean for me? And then you read verses like, if anyone's not practicing righteousness, they're not of God. And so there's so many themes, but when we realize that God is talking, excuse me, John is talking to his little children, his spiritual kids that are saved and warning them of those who come along and lie to them, it helps us get a better picture on the macro level. And there's difficulties and there's difficult interpretations that resound throughout this. I'll do my best today to present to you this chapter and we'll put it under the umbrella of what it means to be a child of God. Heavenly Father, use your text today to excite us about being children of God and knowing what children of God should know and living the way children of God should live. Lord, we live in a world that seeks to identify us by many different things. And at times we'll hear words that hurt. We'll even say words in our own inner man or in a woman that, that are contrary to what you think of us. Lord, help us to allow the truth to sink in and be that seed that's growing inside us that we might recall it in those moments when we're tempted to sin or we're tempted to shame ourselves or we're tempted even to condemn ourselves and say, that's not true of me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And so Lord, may we process that today as we look in this chapter of scripture and may it be a blessing to all those who hear. In your name, amen. Now, have you ever thought what it's like to be a child of someone who's super wealthy? Have you ever thought what it's like to be a child of someone who is super loving? You know, have you ever thought, what is it like to be a child of someone who is super fun? I mean, we all have different experiences and we can say, I was in a family where we did this. I, being a child of my dad, well, then this is gonna happen in your life. And people have good experiences and some people have very bad experiences. If you're a child of Chris, you have very random activity happening all the time and dad could pull something out of anywhere all the time. And I enjoyed doing that, especially when they were little. And so as we get into Christmas season, it recalls a time where I would like to tell Rebecca, hey, I'm gonna surprise them with, uh, we're going to watch Christmas lights or look at Christmas lights, okay? And so we would come up with these things and we always wanna surprise them. So we'd be getting towards like their bedtime and there'd be like an hour window there. I go, Becca, get the popcorn. Let's go look at Christmas lights. And they'd start running around and they, and they would go, we'd go out in jammas and we'd go eat popcorn. And now, now it's super depressing because just me and Becca sitting there looking at Christmas lights. No, 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 no. But, but, but I remember those days and we always like to do these spontaneous things. On top of that, we love doing things that made them go, wow. And I loved that age when they were going, oh, 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 okay. They still do that in their teenage years, just the oohs are now $1,000 every time, right? But, but when they were little, it was just like, look at those lights, oh, you know? Uh, and, and, and I remember loving those moments. I mean, I would spend hours in line at the Strasbourg Railroad to see a gigantic toy blue train come down the tracks and go, Thomas, look at me, okay? Because 
I loved being a dad where my kids went, I'm so glad I had my dad. And every once in a while, they let you feel like they're proud of you. And those moments are few and far between at times. But moms, you remember the moment where you felt like your daughter was just a little bit proud to have you as a mom or, or, or dad when, when you noticed your son was just a little bit proud? Those are great moments. How do you think our heavenly father feels when you're excited to be his kid? How do you think that makes him feel? I love being God's kid. And, and if there's anything that these wolves that are crouching at the doors of the sheepfold is, is to get you to have a false view of who your dad is. Because if he can lie to you about who your dad is and often leveraging circumstances of your life to do it, then he can get you off track and he can get you living as if you're not a child of God at all. Oh, not John. He is full of wonder for what he has as a child of God. And he says this, and he begins the chapter, see what kind of love the father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Well, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. You see, the world looks at children of God and is like, I don't understand them because they have a theology problem. They don't know who God is, so they can't recognize God in their kids. I'll tell you what, I've heard from teachers when they have parent-teacher um, get-together nights, they say they can always tell okay, who their parents are of these kids because the kids behave like them. But I remember one teacher saying, you believe it or not, parents will often go sit without knowing where their child sits. I can kind of tell they're their child. Well, the world can't really tell things about God's children. It's an enigma to them at times because they don't know who God is. And so the things that God's kids do sometimes don't make sense. And what excites John is the fact that the father has loved him so much that he's called, I'm a child of God. And then he follows up with, and so we are. The term carries a, a legitimacy. There's a transaction there. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. That is what I am. But, but you know what? Sometimes this translation falls short just a little bit. It says, see what love. Some passages read, behold. And that behold is a beautiful word because it's, it's so excited about the kind of love that God has for his kids. It's even, in fact, the, the phrase can come from, the, the, there's, a, there's a word here in the original language that can mean, of what country? I mean, of what country could somebody love me this much? It's otherworldly. It's a divine love. And God's kids know those love. Beloved, we are God's children now. And, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That was me putting on the brakes. What? We're going to see him? If you believe the Bible is true, do we believe the Bible is true? Renew, say yes. Then you're going to look at Jesus in the face one day. And that's not a maybe. That's going to be a moment in your future. You're gonna look at him. And, and, and he's not gonna pass by you, be like, I don't know if I know them, like some superstar walking down the street. He's gonna know your name. In fact, 
He's going to want to have fellowship with you at some point. I mean, he might even look in a tree amongst a crowd and go, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. He knows you and you know him. And one day you're going to look at him. He's going to know your name. And what's crazy about this and what gets me so excited about this is when I'm looking at this as a child of God, not only am I going to see him, I'm going to be like him, scripture says. I'm going to see him and I'm going to be like him. I sit back from my Bible and be like, are you kidding me? I'm going to be like him? I mean, when you start processing that not only you're going to see him, but one day in glory, you're going to be like him. What will it be like in glory? What will it be like in those moments when we see him? Oh, scripture, and we've talked about this in our seven series. And if you were with us a few years back in our scripture series, it said in seven, we said, no, I has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. No child of God can fully grasp what God has prepared. See, I like that because I'm a dad who liked to fill his kids with wonder. And so one of the things we would do is we dream up ideas for their bedrooms, especially when they were little. And I remember the, boy, the boys wanting a football room. And so I painted it all green. I painted white lines on it, 10 yard, 20 yard line. I painted the big logo, ESPN Red Zone, okay, over top of his bed. I mean, we got all excited about this and I couldn't wait to show him. We got some track lighting pointing at different things about sports that, that he played. And when he walked in, he's like, wow, I love to prepare because I know what my son liked. I know what they want to see and I know what would make them excited. I can picture Jesus in heaven because he loves me so much, scripture says. Well, wait till Chris sees what I got for him. Chris is pumped now. He's up on the stage all like, you don't have any. Chris has no idea what I've got planned for him. And put your name in it. Jesus says, I am, not, I am working so hard. He loves this. This is so exciting. No eye can conceive. And it says in scripture that when I get to heaven, I'm gonna have a glorified body like Jesus. That's an incredible thought. Have you ever thought through what a glorified body's like? Oh, my thought in heaven will be like half-naked chubby babies playing harps on, on, on clouds. No wonder you don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to go if that's the case. That's not what scripture says. Well, it would be nice if scripture said some stuff about heaven. Scripture talks about heaven all the time. Are you listening for it? And one of the things scripture tells us is about is what we will be like in heaven. How do we know? Because we'll be like him. Well, what was he like? He was physical when he reappeared after his resurrection. So our bodies in heaven will be physical. He said, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. You'll have a body and have a glorified body. What else? It'll be recognizable. In Matthew 17, three, Moses and Elijah who have gone on from earth appeared and they recognized them. So I'll be recognizable. I hope God shines me up a little bit, but I'll be recognizable. It won't be like, what's that? Who are you? Is that you, Chris? No, they will be recognizable people walking around. It's relational. Jesus stood in the midst with them and he said, peace be to you. He wanted fellowship fellowship with them. He wanted to be around them. We'll have relationships. His body was nourishable. Hello, you'll be able to eat without problems for eating. 
You guys won't have to stand in buffet lines talking about your diet starting tomorrow while you're doing it, right? I see all this shady maple. Oh, next week, you know, we're getting serious about it. You know, we won't have to do that. They'll say there's feasts in heaven. We'll go to the Jerusalem and we'll eat together and we'll fellowship together. And God has made most of his relational aspects about life being around food. And we'll do it for fun and enjoyment. And on top of that, our bodies will be invincible. Even while the doors were locked, Jesus could walk through walls and be a part of the room. That's what glorified bodies are like. And scripture says we will be like him. Wow. It's one of the reasons I feel so sad for Adam. Before the sin-cursed earth, I'm sure Adam could have fallen out of a tree and it didn't matter once the curse hit the earth. Adam felt pain. He felt hurt. He felt shame for the first time. We long for this day when we will be like him and we'll be where he is. And do you know that he talks about in heaven what that's like? And in fact, in Revelation, it tells us there's seven no mores. And I love the no more aspect. Yep, you know that? You know that? Yeah, I do know that. No more of that. Okay, what are some of them? Well, in heaven, there's no more death. Anybody ever lost a loved one? No more of that in heaven. You won't be like, I hope we don't lose them. No more of that. No more mourning. Have you ever mourned over something or cried over something? Has that been a part of your week this week? Well, and you get to glory? No more of that. No more crying. No more pain. Who needs that one? No more pain. There are those who are on our prayer list every single week for chronic pain they live in. Do you know how difficult it is to move with incredible chronic pain? No more of that. No more sea, no more night, no more curse. Now I know some people sometimes say, oh, no more sea. I've had some surfers argue with that. Um, Keep in mind, we, we take Revelation literally until there are some symbolic elements and there absolutely are and see, it sees the beast comes from the sea. It seems like this is speaking of worldliness, night being the darkness, um, the curse. And we see these things that no more, no more. It's the idea that there's no more this sin, no more. Well, what's heaven like? I mean, I mean, what's it gonna be like? I mean, I wish scripture would talk about what heaven is like, but did you know there's four descriptive words of heaven? And these words are stuff that you know. It's not, it's not a chubby baby in clouds. These are words that you know what they are. Heaven is called a new heaven and a new earth. You all know what an earth is. You're on it. Earth has wonderful landscapes, wonderful scenery, beautiful skies. We know what an earth is. Heaven is called an earth. It'll just be a new and renewed one. Scripture calls it a country. And we know what countries bring. We long for another country. Countries have leadership. Countries have organization. Countries have boundaries. Heaven is called a city. We know what a city is. We've seen cities, but just take all the curse out. And so it's not this absence of technology. It's not this revert back to the garden per se, but the curse is gone. And we enjoy these things that are good without the evil. And on top of that, scripture says there's dwellings. The word literally can mean home, a place where people dwell. There will be opportunities to gather together in relationships because he goes and he prepares a place for us. Heaven is going to be this incredible place and it is the future home of God's 
kids and therefore the things of earth grow strangely dim as we look forward to the day when we will be with him with no more stress, no more feeling like I have to perform or entertain or get through my day, no more, no more. And everyone, John says, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. What? Everyone who hopes for that day when they see Jesus seeks to live a life as much like Jesus as they can be for their gratitude for what he's done for them. See, God's kids know they have a purpose on earth and that's to glorify God. God's kids know they have a goal to conform more like Jesus every day. God's kids know they have a mission It's actually a commission to go and make disciples. God's kids know they've got a massive inheritance because their dad is stupid rich. I mean, I remember being a kid going, why does God love cattle so much? Because he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I began to realize as I grew older that is talking about how much and the wealth and the amazement of God that no earthly kingdom could ever contain. God is royalty and I'm an heir of his. That means I'm a royal kid. And have you ever noticed when you see families of royalty on earth, their children know they're royalty because of their parents. They act royal, right? You know what I'm talking about. God's kids are royalty, but they so often don't act like it at all because they've bought into lies that the world has beat down into them. And so they do not live out who their dad is because royalty, when they're walking through something, somebody goes, you're a loser. They go, (laughs) okay, appreciate the cat call. Royalty, when they walk around, go, oh, you think you're something great. They go, I am something great in royalty. But God's kids, they don't define themselves by comments. It's not a selfish love. It's an unselfish love. I am one of God's children, and nothing you can say can define me. Do you live like God's kid? I don't know. John wants to help you. I'll feel like if you can. How so? He tacks it three ways. He says, God's kids, they practice something. They practice righteousness. Or in other words, they practice purity. And he tackles that in the first six verses, or verses four through 10. And then he moves to God's kids, they love their brother. Now, if you're here today, you go, I don't have a brother, just sisters. No, no, that means brothers, sisters, in Christ, okay? That is other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, now, and they also, the final end of the chapter, they know what love means. You can't fool a child of God with fake love. Oh, that's love. That's not love. They know what love means because God is love. You can point at Jesus and go, there's love. And the world can't define love because for a God's kid, because God kid knows what love looks like. And so he breaks it down to these three categories and that's what I wanna do for us today. So this first one, God's kids practice purity. Is that something that's part of your life? What does he mean? Well, I wanna get technical for a second. I wanna show you the macro of this. Um, Jump in seminary for a second. There There is a systematic setup of these verses. 
There's an introduction in verses four and an introduction in verses eight and they match, whoever does sin. Then there's a theme, sin and lawlessness and sin and the devil. Then there's a purpose behind Christ's appearing here on earth. He appeared to take away sin and God's son appeared to destroy the works of the devil. And because of these things, there's a logical conclusion. No one who remains in him keeps on sinning. No one born of God keeps on sinning. This is from Stott, the epistles of John. He has put together this macro look at these verses because it seems as if there's a system being dealt with here that there's this voice, and I believe it's the voice of the false teachers, that's saying something very contrary to the truth. They practice lawlessness or wickedness, and John's going, I can see by looking at that, that's not a child of God. That's in fact a child of the devil. Listen to some of these verses. He writes, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sins. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Um, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. But... I sometimes sin. Do I not know him? Now, we already know something from John's family talk. He has already said, when you sin, if you confess with your mouth, excuse me, you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so John's not saying that Christians are gonna be perfect. He's saying they practice purity. But his goal here is to kind of say, I want you to look at this. I want you to stand back for a second and I want you to look for characteristics of what God's kids look like and what God's kids don't look like. And one of the things God's kids look like is they practice purity. And if you read those texts and go, I'm still a little confused. Let's have a little fun with this. Can I have a target on the wall behind me? All right. All right. All right. Let's say this. Let me try to illustrate and, and, and w with this, okay? Let's, we go to seminary, let's go to middle school, all right? Um, I got a bow and arrow, and, and um, let me illustrate scripture. Why do I have a target? Well, sin, okay? The idea of sin or the word sin is actually an archery term. It literally can mean to miss the mark, all right? So if sin is missing the mark, well, watch this verse come to life. For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. I can't get there, okay? I fall short of the glory of God. Now, because sin entered the world, where the wages of sin is death, okay? Sin entered the world, and then the law came to show men that they don't measure up. You need to hit bullseye every time. And they were given the law, and they'd shoot. This is gonna be good, this is gonna be good. Hopefully it doesn't break anything. And they shoot. But if they miss the bullseye, they were close. But if you miss the bullseye even one time in your life, 
you fall short of the glory of God. And the wages, did you know the price you have to pay in this archery tournament? The wages, okay? The price you have to pay for failing, the wages of sin is what? Death. This is a pretty important archery tournament. Now John's saying, you've got members here who are of dark and of light. And here's how you can tell them apart. The ones who practice righteousness are children of God. And the ones that practice darkness, those aren't children of God. Watch out. Those are wolves. And so if you see someone practicing righteousness, they're trying to do this, but even they fail. They come up with all these different things and they try to hit bullseye. And then the crowd quiets as someone comes into this competition between dark and light, enters in, grabs an arrow, people quiet, they watch him because he's walking with confidence. They jeer him, who do you think you are? You're not gonna be able to do this. But there's an air about him. It's as if everyone's attracted to this one who seems like he'll never make a mistake and he pulls back. And the crowd just waits. Is he gonna hit bullseye? And he releases. And wham! (laughs) See that? Now, if you're listening online or you're on podcast, you have no idea what just happened. Turn church on. An arrow appeared. Dead center for Jesus hits the mark. He fulfilled the law. He was the one with no sin. And he asks those kids that are his, who have claimed him as their savior, that while you're here on earth, seek to live a life where you're, ooh, I actually got it. First service, I didn't. I got pretty close there. (laughs) Seek to live a life. And and sometimes you'll get tripped up. Sometimes, sometimes you'll be you'll be aiming, you'll be aiming, and, and you'll be like, all right, I gotta hit this, but like, 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 oh, what was that? Oh, I've never seen that. Oh, oh. That's not what John's talking about. He's saying, watch this. Let me see who's practicing righteousness. How about this one? Here comes somebody. What are they doing? Well, there's the target. There's the target. Oh, that's the target. Oh, yeah. Well, watch this. They're shooting into the dark. The one who's practicing unrighteousness, that's clearly not a child of God. This is not a challenge of perfection. For he knows we miss. This is a challenge of, can you spot this? They're not even trying. And then look what the scripture says. Put it up for me. Here's the verse. By this is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, I'm not gonna let this go, but if you see something like this, that's not practicing righteousness. Have you ever been tempted to pull a dart on a brother or sister in Christ? That's where John's headed here because he says that is one of the most obvious evidences of a child of God that they love their brother, not hate their brother. And so if you're sitting here and you're looking at someone who's seeking to aim it, whether they're perfect or not, that is not the concern here is there's a practice, there's a pursuit of purity. If you see zero desire to pursue purity, but in fact, the opposite is true. They hate their brother. They only aim for the darkness. They could care less about the target that God's given them. That's not a child of God. 
They practice purity. But they also love their brother. And so they practice purity and they love their brother. It's one of the most distinguishing marks of children of God. Why? Because it's so hard sometimes. Have you ever thought about this? We often think about how hard it is to love another brother and sister in Christ. Have you ever thought about how hard it is to love you? Have you ever processed that? What's it like being your kid, dad? Have you ever thought what it must be like loving you? Wives, have you ever thought about what it must be like to love you? Husbands, have you ever thought about that? I think it's a really healthy exercise to say, how hard is it to love me? I'm talking about how hard it is to love other people. How hard is it to love me? Well, when we love our brother, it's a distinguishing mark of a child of God. So John says this, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Oh, I'm curious. For scripture often doesn't really say sometimes. He gives us clues. But there was something about Cain. Teenagers, college students, and I think some informed parents, you know in social media that some people can put a black heart next to comments or emotions. It's one of the emojis that kind of says this is a dark humor or, or this is how I'm feeling right now or my emotions are kind of dark or I'm feeling kind of dark about this or I'm kind of hating on something like this. It seems like Cain had that kind of struggle going on. And, and, and it's the passage that John goes to to speak about loving your brother, child of God. Did you know that this is the first murder ever occurred on the earth? The first murder that's ever occurred on this globe was Cain killing Abel. It's spoken of in Genesis. And it's not an animation of what a child of God would do. So something was wrong inside of Cain. See, there was this situation where God had asked for a sacrifice. And Abel, being a shepherd, he brought his first fruit of the flock. And Cain, being a hunter, he brought fruit of the field. And when they brought that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And that triggered something. So Cain was, how angry? Very angry. And his face fell. And the Lord interrupts Cain, comes to Cain, says, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? I believe God kind of knows <laughs> and he wants to expose something going on inside. God spots his emotions and he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, there's a wolf. Sin's crouching at your door and its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. You gotta stop this. For if you don't, it's going to lead to something. Scripture gives us some clues of what it could lead to and why he was angry. In Hebrews 11:4, it says this, by faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. So it seems that Cain had a doubt in God that Abel did not have. He had faith in God. 
Scripture also tells us in Jude chapter one, four and 11, that there are people who behave like Cain. What's that like? Okay, they pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ. Woe to them for they have, listen to this, taken the way of Cain. There seems to be an element of walking in the darkness versus walking in the light. They're perverting the truth that John has talked about and they deny Jesus Christ exactly what these Gnostic teachers were doing. But first John answers this. And why did he kill him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain had evil deeds within him and Cain, excuse and Abel did not. And it spiraled. And we know it's spiraling because God intervened and said, why are you very angry? See, that's what sin does, it spirals. And the enemy wants it to keep spiraling until we don't love our brother, we hate our brother, but it doesn't start with the action. It starts long before the action. What do I mean? There seems to be a spiral here. Upsetting circumstances come along. God accepted Abel's and not mine. And then false beliefs start. God must not be good, the wolf cries. He doesn't love you like he likes Abel. That was nothing to do with it. The problem was within Cain. But the wolf comes along and wants to lie about God. He's not good. Look at your circumstances. He doesn't love you. Look what's happened to you. He doesn't care about you. Look what this is going on in your life. And if we allow these false beliefs to fester, (laughs) it gets into our thought life and it produces ungodly thinking. And we start thinking about what is dark and what is ugly and what is vengeful and what is nasty. And then guess what that does? It leads to emotions. And this is where God went to Cain and said, why are you very angry? God already knows it wasn't right here. It was all the way up to the false beliefs. And if you don't deal with it, sin's crouching at your door and it wants you to act. And then ungodly and sinful behavior. Upsetting circumstances. I'm angry at my relationship. Lead to false beliefs. No one loves me. Leads to ungodly thinking. Maybe I should just pursue love on the internet. Leads to spiraling emotions. Oh my goodness, look at that. Leads to sinful behavior. Doesn't just start there. And see, we live in a world of self-help that deals with emotions and behavior where the Bible and scripture shows you, oh, it's way further up the chain than that. There's something brewing underneath the surface. There's a darkness in there. There's deeds that are evil. And God's saying, deal with it. And where do we deal with it? Right at that false beliefs. Because if we don't, it'll play itself out. And one of the things that played out was Cain hated Abel for being righteous because his deeds were evil. And that will happen to children of God when they're dealing with other people. They sometimes will be hated for no other reason than envy. He says, don't be surprised by this, that the world hates you. 
We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We hit the brakes again? Yeah. What? No murderer has eternal life abiding. So do no murderers go to heaven if you murder someone you don't go to heaven? Well, that would exclude the apostle Paul. So something's gotta be here. Saul killed Christians before Jesus came and intersected him with light on the road to Damascus. And he said he can remember still persecuting the church, but make no mistake, the apostle Paul will be in glory because he is a child of God. You see, before you're defined as a child of God, you're defined by your sin. But once you're defined as a child of God, you're defined for who you are in Jesus Christ. And everyone though, then that hates his brother as a murderer, it's following Jesus' teaching. Can you remember Jesus' teaching? He said, you heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But even if you think hateful thoughts towards your brother, you've murdered. Well, then that, that kind of includes everyone here. What are we doing? This is where this word abiding plays a role. Abiding, a remaining close relationship. I believe the idea here is anyone who is in the word of God, who is praying to the Lord, submitting to the spirit, seeking to remain close to God and push up thoughts of hatred against his brother or sister in Christ, isn't gonna commit murder because they're abiding in God. They're not gonna hate their brother. In fact, they're gonna love their brother because they're abiding closely to him. Oh, it's so safe to pursue a close relationship with God. And why would you do that? because children of God know what love means. Look at these final verses of our chapter. They know dad's love. They know that love means selflessness. Love isn't just this passionate thing that I go do and everybody should go love. It's selflessness. True love, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The little things in life, little self-denials at times. We're often not asked to die for someone, but there's denials that we go through on a daily basis. When you do that for someone else, what a wonderful sign that you're a child of God. Children of God, they seek to be selfless. It's one of the things they aim at. They pull back the bow and try to be selfless. Love means compassion. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. One of the things God's kids know love is, is compassion. You know, compassion has a twofold meaning. It means to see somebody in need, and then it means to do something about it. Not just see it and say, hey, praying for you, be warmed, be fed. It means to stop and say, hey, how can we help this? God's kids aim at that, because they know that's what love looks like. You're not being compassionate for compassionate's sake. You're being compassionate because you're aiming at a target of the one who shot for you. Love means assurance. This is great. By this, we shall know that we are the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. I love this verse because it's speaking about assurance. Have you ever found in your life, even as a child of God, where there are times you're like, you shouldn't have done that. You call yourself a Christian. You ever get that inner voice condemning you? 
If you grew up around legalism, I guarantee you do. And there's a lot of shame in your head. God is bigger than that. And he tells us in his word that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Reject that shame. Oh, you might've messed up, but pull back the bow and shoot again. Confess your sins. I'm faithful and just to forgive them. Now keep pursuing instead of living in that shame. And so when your heart comes at you, replace it, take it captive with the truth. Oh, because love means confidence. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. It's the story of a president who his little boy always had access into the Oval Office. He just allowed him complete access. The security guards will let him in. You say, how he doesn't deserve that? But because he's a child of the president, he had those privileges. A child of God goes to God in prayer with tremendous confidence because they know what love is. Love means confidence with their dad. And love means obedience. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever, whoever does these things abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The child of God wants to be selfless. The child of God aims at compassion. The child of God aims at assurance. The child of God knows they're confident in who God is and how much he loves him. And the child of God seeks to obey. Not because their brother or sister in Christ deserves it, but because they're aiming to be like Christ. How about you? Is there anybody right now that you're struggling with unforgiveness towards? Is there a child of God that you know that you'd like to take a shot at or two? And you're tempted right now. And the enemy's going, oh, they deserve it. You know what they said? That's disgusting, right? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a, a group of girls, young girls, who didn't invite you over. And you know what? I'm gonna destroy their reputation online. You know, I'll do it at school. You know, she said this about me. Watch this. Whoop. How about another guy who got the position you wanted on your sports team, young guys? How about that guy, right? Or how about that coach that didn't believe in your kid, mom and dad? Mmm, let's preach. How about that? person in your life. But what if it's a brother or sister in Christ? And we're tempted to pick that up and fire it. Let's abide in God so those things don't happen. And, and what does that look like? It's like a totally different cycle. Upsetting circumstances happen and biblical beliefs come in. I am not defined by what other people say and think about me. My heavenly father loves me and calls me a child of God. Before the foundations of the world, I was chosen by him. You know, I do not call myself a sinner in my prayer life because I believe I am a saint now that I know Jesus Christ is my savior. And I am uh, by nature, I've coached a lot of years and I know you, you coach negatively, you'll get negativity. You coach your mind sad, 
you're gonna get sad, okay? You talk like a loser, you often walk like a loser. Christians are victorious in Jesus Christ. They're children of God. They're deeply loved. First Peter says, I'm chosen and in him, and I'm a saint. He says, saints, listen to me. We're children of God. Walk like a winner. Walk victorious. You have this massive inheritance. How on earth are you letting this world define who you are? You're his masterpiece. He worked hard on you. And when I pray, I say, Lord, I'm a child of God. I made a mistake. Lord, please forgive me. But I'm a saint and I am not gonna allow these voices in my head to condemn me all day and destroy another day for living for you. I'm gonna live for you. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm taking my aim again and I'm gonna shoot again because I know I'm a child of God. And when biblical beliefs begin to erase all those lies that the wolf goes, it leads to me taking my thoughts captive. Call yourself a pastor and you do No, no, you don't get to roll around my head today. You call yourself a Christian. No, no, you don't. I'm a child of God. I made a mistake. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to keep moving. And it leads to our thoughts being captive. And then it controls our emotions because the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then self-control leads to godly behavior. That hurt God, but I'm not defined by them. I'm gonna forgive them, God, because I'm a child of God, but it isn't gonna be easy. Here's where my thought life is, but I need to take that thought captive so that it doesn't lead to emotions that begin to spiral out of control because my desire is to aim at my heavenly Father's goal. These things are beginning to add up the assurance of your salvation is beginning to add up, child of God. We are now through three chapters in 1 John and we have learned children of God walk in the light. Children of God have fellowship with Christians. Children of God admit they have sinned. Children of God confess their sin. Children of God seek to obey God's word and children of God want to live like Jesus. Children of God love one another. They're not perfect. And when they sin, they ask for forgiveness. But when you mess up and you go, God, forgive me, that's a sign you're a child of God. You don't have to ask him to be your savior at every camp meeting. If you desire to follow after Jesus Christ as your savior and do what he says in the Bible, you're a child of God. Calm down and stop asking him every time the pastor talks about heaven and hell. If you're going through this earth and you enjoy encouraging and lifting up and building up other children of God, you're a child of God. These things are mounting up and there were more. There's children of God do not love worldliness. They get distracted by it, but they don't love it. Children of God don't forsake the church. That means to literally turn their back and never wanna be there. Children of God can understand the Bible. Children of God practice righteousness today. Children of God do not hate their brother. And when those tempting thoughts come in, they have to take them captive and confess them if they get there. And children of God know what love means because Christ showed them. These things are adding up. He wrote this book so you could go, hey, I am 100% a child of God. Yes, I am. Yes, you are. And it's because of his work. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. It was Jesus who came 
to this earth in the battle against dark and light and he shot the bow and he hit it. You get one life, scripture teaches. And there's this stat out there. 10 out of 10 people die. And where you spend the rest of your life is determined by whether you hit the bullseye while you're on earth. And if you don't hit the bullseye, you don't go to heaven. If you miss once, you don't go to heaven. Your arrow has to hit bullseye because only the purified person goes to glory. But that's where gospel gets so awesome. Jesus came. He saw you holding your bow trying to get there and he goes, give me that. He grabs it and he fires it and whap, it hits bullseye. And you know what he does? At the moment of salvation, when you say, Jesus, I want you to be my savior, you know what he does? He goes, it's his arrow. He shot it. He goes, here. Child of God, yes, Jesus, be my savior. All right, here. I didn't shoot that. You did now. What? Go to the judge and show him your arrow. Okay. I accept this free gift. For I have fallen short and I need this free gift. I accept it. I want you to be my savior. Go show your arrow to the judge. You mean I get to present my life as if I lived the life of Jesus Christ? Go present it to the judge. He, he's failed. Um, he has my arrow. Yeah, what he said. He misses sometimes. He's covered in my shot. Yeah. He doesn't deserve to go there. Tell him my name. Use your name. Use my name. Okay. Um, this is my arrow. I, I got it from Jesus. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> and then I roll into glory based on nothing I've done except to take that free gift. Oh, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to earth because he's the only one who can live a perfect life. And if you're a child of God, you don't have to be perfect. You just need to be in Christ. You'll mess up. You'll make mistakes. But it never changes the fact that when you get there one day, you'll be holding his arrow because his righteousness is given to you at the moment of salvation. And that's why for the rest of your life, you can shoot at this thing, not letting it identify you, but going, ha, I'm trying to get closer. One thing I noticed is my dad kind of keeps his shoulders straight. I'm trying to do this. And so next time I'm tempted, I'm gonna kind of hold it a little bit stiller because I wanna pursue and be like him. But no matter what happens, I know this about my savior. I repeat it to my children. I repeat it to people who come and speak to me that, that have all sorts of wolves in their heads that just crush them as children of God. There is nothing, listen to this, there is nothing you can do after you're saved child of God that can make Jesus love you less. You're not able to.
because your performance is wrapped up in his and that's how he sees you. Well, I'm a pretty good shot, you are. I'm a pretty good shot, you are, because of Christ, because apart from him, you can't do anything. Are you a child of God? John says we're living in the last hour. My prayer is for everybody in here to know what it feels like to not wonder if you'll look at Jesus, but to actually think about what you're gonna say when you see him. I've got some things I've thought of that I'm not gonna say out loud, but I think I'll be quiet because I just wanna hear him talk to me. And you can have that experience now through the word he's given you here on earth. Abide in him, child of God, because you're gonna be like him one day and you're gonna see him one day. Get to know him. He loves you dearly and there's nothing you could ever do to make him love you less. Do you know him? With your heads bowed, eyes closed, Lord, if there's anyone in here today who is not a child of God, I just pray that they wouldn't let that be a reality much longer. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We needed Jesus to come because he was perfect. And the law said, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness, but that blood couldn't be anybody's blood. It needed to be the blood of the perfect, spotless, bullseye lamb, lamb of God. And he appeared to take away the sin of the world for in him, there was no sin. And anyone who calls upon his name and believes in their heart that he is God can be saved Paul tells us in Romans. They can sing that song with the saints of the ages. I got saved. Saved from an eternity. Separated from God. Saved from an eternity of the punishment that awaits children of the devil. So Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here today who has never called on the name of the Lord to take the arrow, if you will, of his gift of salvation so that when the day comes, when you call them up, you can say, I'm with Jesus. I'm a child of God. You are? Yes, I am. And may we live that way here on earth, defined only by him and defined only with what he says of us. If there's anyone in here today, would they pray with me even now? Lord, forgive me of my sin. I need a savior. I want to be your child. Jesus, please be my savior now. I want to be a child of God. Forgive me of my sin. I want to spend the rest of my life knowing a love that will love me and that there's nothing I could ever do that will make them love them, me less. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And Lord, we know you know their heart. But Lord, if there's just one more person who becomes a child of God today, 
this series has done its job. God, we want people in this crowd to be assured of their salvation. And that's why we preach 1 John, for the assurance that us children of God can have. And we'll pray this in your name. Amen.